Okay, good morning. Thank you so much for coming to our time together. My own life group here, they're not behaving. Okay, so I'm Pastor Jeff Buck, one of the assisting pastors here. My wife will be here in a moment. I have been married almost 46 years, and Denise and I have four grown daughters, children, who are wonderful uh, examples of great people, and then six grandkids. And so there's a book that is out of print, but you may be interested in obtaining it, and it's called Passages of Marriage by Doctors Minrith and Meyer, Passages of Marriage. And so you'll see at the top here that there are four or five stages of marriage, this being compressing uh, four and five together, that uh, all have different challenges. There are different things that happen to you in years zero to three, which is different than four to 10, which is different than 11 to 25. And then in the book, they have 26 to 34, that's called renewing love. And then years 35 and up, transcendent love. So the goal where we're trying to get is something called transcendent love. So watching my dad die in my mom's arms over in Pacific Grove a few years back, and watching how my mom took care of my dad, she was a nurse, and he had uh, ankylosing spondylitis, which is a form of arthritis, which was not very much treatable then. She took care of him those last uh, difficult seven years, and then actually watching uh, him pass away in my mom's presence. And I remember at that moment thinking, you don't see love like that anywhere else, but with people who've hung out together for 50 years. And it began my thinking, let's, let's look at what the total goal is and see if we are married long enough, we can get to this place where we have transcendent love, or years 26 to 34, renewing love. And so the whole thesis here, I've put on this workshop thing so that you can kind of have a picture of the whole of marriage. Now, you, if you're in this room, have probably been married 26 years or more. How many of you have been married 26 years to 30 years? 26 to 30, okay? And how about, how about 30 to 35? And then 35 to 40? And how many of you have just been married just forever? You just can't even remember. And so, you know, the issues are so interesting. You know, in new marriages, as the book's going to talk about, the thing is molding into one family or unit, laying aside your old family patterns and creating new ones, and, and all those kinds of things. And so you might enjoy looking through those different stages and thinking, yeah, I, I've been through some of those. And the thesis of the book is you're supposed to be solving these uh, issues as you go. You don't want to be in year 39 and fighting over things that could have been taken care of in the first three years. And so I think we all probably have what we call landmines, unexploded ordinance that's underneath the surface. And even in the older years of marriage, sometimes you have to go back and, <clears throat> and literally detonate something so you can address it. But we're looking toward 
these mature stages, 26 to 34 and 35 up, to see our love renewed and to see our love transcend all the different things that can happen. And so you're here today in those latter stages. So after I pray, I want to take you through some of the the, the challenges that we have and then some of the opportunities in these uh, mature years that we have for marriage. We got a good start. Nate and Christina laid out that foundation. Uh, Christina pointed out that if Nate didn't perform well, she was going to call me. I, I, that was news to me, uh, and that's never happened, but uh, trusting it won't. Now let's take a minute to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the emphasis today on marriage. I know if it was easy, Lord, everybody would have the perfect marriage, but even as Christians, we know there are challenges. So please teach us, Holy Spirit, through your word, and Lord, guide our uh, interaction together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just wanted to introduce real quick my wife in the back, Denise, would you mind waving your hand? That's the wife of, well, 46 years, November 15th. So that will be a wonderful new anniversary. Would you go with me to Proverbs 18.22? And I want to just state a basic principle that uh, if you can keep hold of this, no matter what stage of your marriage that you're in, it helps you to continue solving the issues as you mature and then arrive at years 26 and, and 35 better able to deal with whatever changes are happening. And it's a very simple verse. I don't even need to read it, but I think I will. In the version of the house, ESV, Proverbs 18, 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I could talk on that a long time long time. Just that one verse. I remember the pastor years ago that began talking about this and really opened it up to me. He who finds a wife, and as as he was saying, it's not just you get a wife and get married, but you continue to find your wife. You continue to discover. You continue to try to make that relationship go deeper. And if you find a wife, you have found, no matter what is happening in your relationship and marriage, you have found a good thing. As a matter of fact, husbands, you ought to be uh, thankful that you have that good thing at all, and that that good person is going to stick with you. And it's so interesting, it says, and if you obtain that wife, discover that wife, walk with that wife, what do you receive? What does it say? favor from God. I wish I had time to teach you about the favor of God, the the touch of God, the blessing of God, the anointing of God on your life. There is just nothing much better than that, the touch of God on my life. And one of the great reasons why that can operate in your life is how you treat your spouse. And it's kind of a dirty trick. You know, the Lord says, well, you know, your attitude toward me has to be reflected in your attitude toward your spouse. And if your attitude toward your spouse is correct, what God releases on my life is favor, his touch. Genesis 39 with uh, Joseph, and all through Scripture, these men and women that had God's touch on their lives. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from God. So it's 
it's of great spiritual consequence how we treat one another, and in the context, how I treat my wife and how it affects my relationship with God. So what are some of the things as we're transmitting and we're going through years 26 and up, what are some of the things that uh, we find ourselves facing? We see facing more losses together, even though we mentioned that in the middle years, some of the losses that may happen in years 26 plus. There may be issues with health. My, I had excellent, flawless health until I was 50, and then it was like the wheels fell off. And I have had issues that my wife has had to help me through rheumatoid arthritis, things like that. Health, often the death of parents. Helping one another deal with the death of parents, and my wife helping me with the, with the death of Harvey and Susan, my parents. Or God forbid, the death of a child. The death of friends. I don't mean to get depressing, but these are the challenges as we get older that it's more likely that we we face loss. A friend of mine used to say, all people view all loss, all people view change as loss, and it makes them angry. We like things to stay the same. I want my parents always to be here. I want my kids always to be here. I want always, always, always. And when it doesn't happen, it's loss. And helping each other through these losses and sometimes the anger that we incur. Relating to, to children and grandchildren. There is the challenge in these later years. Well, my kids move away. Are we going to move with them? Are we going to chase our kids? How is we have maybe a little bit more time as we age? How are we going to prioritize our children and grandchildren? Maybe you're in the situation where you're preparing for retirement, and there are some of some challenges that come as you prepare for retirement, control, personal boundaries, and space. Um, what are we going to do? How are we going to schedule things? Um, can we have separate interests, which I, I recommend, even as you age, and maybe you're in partial retirement or full retirement, it's really a good thing to maintain some separate things. One of you might like kayaking, and one of you might be afraid of the water. One of you might like shooting, and the other doesn't like noise. But it's okay. But sometimes couples are in conflict, and they want to do all things all the time, 24-7 together. Some people can do that. Some people find it's really good for me to have a separate uh, hobby but it may be a controversial thing. Have, have any of you ever found that? Have you found that, that you like one thing and the other person doesn't like that? Could I see your hands? No? Can you give me an example of one thing that you like to do? <laughs> okay, yeah. What else? What, what have you found uh, in differences in hobbies? Scuba dive and she, the kayak. Okay, scuba dive kayak. Other other differences in like what you like to do? In the gym constantly, and you can't spell gym. <laughs> kind of like that. But well, like, what hobbies do you have? Kayak. 
Excellent. So you got some shared things and some things you don't do so much. Maybe one more, like hiking. And does Myra like to hike? No hiking for you. Okay. Myra, what do you like to do? Camping. There you go. So here you are in years 26, and you're, maybe you're having a little bit more time, but you also have some of these challenges. Um, have any of you had to have, have this discussion about should we move to be with grandkids? I'm just curious if any of you have had that discussion. Do we need to chase our grandkids? Oh, you don't like your grandkids. Okay. And you know, uh, it's very interesting down here at the bottom, grandparenting grandkids. Did you know that 17% of older couples in America are parenting their grandchildren? Parenting their grandchildren. I always remember when I was an assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, huge church, seeing an older couple in their 70s bringing in their grandkids who were like six or seven, eight, bringing them in for breakfast in the restaurant every morning that I'd be there and see them. And here they are, they're parenting their grandchildren. See, drugs and substance abuse has wiped out a, a large part of a generation. How many times as a pastor I meet people uh, and, and their kids are in rehab? here at, at our church where we have the Bridge Restoration Ministry. And I started asking people about their family dynamics. So often, who's taking care of the kids? Grandma, Grandpa. And so that, that again, is something that happens when we age. It's one of those possibilities that maybe we've got a <clears throat> son or daughter or both that are addicted to drugs. And we begin also thinking about we have to face the fact of death. And the, the thing that even Christians just don't like to talk about, that none of us is going to make it out of here alive unless, you know, Christ comes um, and all of that. And as we age, we start having to think about trusts and wills and what's going to happen and uh, who's going to get the house and things like that. And it's, it's just not something that you're doing in years zero to three, usually. Some of the challenges... Always having, though, to remind ourselves, I found a wife, I found a good thing, God favors me, and all I've got to do is continue to walk together until we're able to face these things together. And, you know, losing both my parents and, and my wife being able to comfort me in those things um, was just an, an incredible thing. And you begin to find the older you get, I think, how many weaknesses you have. It's really interesting. When you're young, you're just kind of strong. And I remember at one point in my life, I didn't go to a doctor for 17 years. And at the end, I broke that 17-year stretch by going to a doctor for a cold. And he said, well, your cold's already over um, by the time you've come in here. So, But then you find as you age, I really need what's in that other person. And you have to you have to believe and know that God has placed what you need oftentimes in your spouse. And if you want to find your need met, oftentimes it's sitting right next to you. I, I think Christina was talking earlier about the, the, 
thing of humility in marriage, how important it is to acknowledge, man, I just don't think right in this way. I just don't see everything. I, it, it occurs to me as a longtime student of Scripture, once in a while I will find myself uh, focused on a word or a theme, but oftentimes a word. About six months ago, I kept seeing the word gentleness in the Bible. Gentleness. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. And I just felt the Holy Spirit was emphasizing that to me. And so I looked up the 11 verses on gentleness in the New Testament and committing them to memory because even someone as fairly laid back as I am, when I'm confronted by something I didn't expect or whatever, I can find myself being, what's the opposite of gentleness? Harsh just harsh, having a harsh reaction. But lately, it's been the word which I've been seeing in Proverbs, I've been seeing in the New Testament, is the word understanding. Understanding. It's a word that essentially Old New Testaments means seeing everything in its right relationship with everything else. It's seeing context. It's seeing the complete story. It's seeing the story and the backstory. And I tend to be in, in my life, I get very myopic. You know what myopic is? You just get centered on one thing. And then there's this whole world out there that you may not be factoring into what you're trying to understand. My wife has an amazing understanding of things. So on a practical level, I'll say, hey, let's, uh, let's do this, you know, on September 15th. And she'll say, well, well, no, that's Carolyn's birthday. Or, well, no, that's uh, National Hot Dog Day or, or something. She, but she just kind of sees everything. I, are any of you guys like that? That you just, you don't necessarily see everything in relationship to everything else? And that is something... I'm trying to learn and see from her. When we discuss our four kids in their marriages, when she looks at those relationships, and the three of them have two kids each, she, uh, she can see the family dynamic, where as I kind of see it a little more on the surface, and I'm thinking about them as individuals. She sees, she understands in ways that I don't. And I'm so f happy that I have that sitting right next to me, that I can say, you know, I don't think I get this. There are so many positives if you go to that next page. We um, come to the empty nest. Are, are there any empty nesters here? Are, did any of you find that a difficult transition? I mean, initially, of course, you know, they, they, walk, they walk out the door and, and it can be tough. And then the party might start later. But any of you find that kind of hard? Could I see your hands? Yeah, a little bit difficult, that transition. D did you ultimately find how wonderful it is to actually have that person that you've been married to 26 plus years now there all the time and you don't have to be picking up on stuff that the kids have dropped? And the thing about the empty nest is so cool is you put something someplace and it stays. <laughs> It actually stays. And to have that, the less pressure of time, 
the less pressure of questions. It's not that you don't love your kids, but this empty nest is, is such a gift from God. And are, do, are we going to use it? Are we going to develop? Because you have to develop new patterns. Oh, so now we don't have to sit down and talk about the kids all day. I mean, there may be issues, but you, you don't have that right in front of your face all the time, the kids. You have such possibilities with this empty nest. And of course, as you're thinking about retirement, what am I going to do with all this time that husband or wife or both are putting into that job? Where's, where's the energy going to go now? And there are so many possibilities. Like I said here, service and perhaps volunteer thing. Maybe you're the kind of person that always wanted to be a cop. I, I really wish I could have been, among other things, a policeman. But um, in my later years, I've started doing some volunteer police chaplaincy work. And it's the only thing you can do where you get in a car with somebody, and this has happened to me more than once, and drive down Del Monte Boulevard 80 miles an hour. It is so much fun to sit next to a cop and be a pastor and be a friend. And that's something I hope to do more as I have more time. But some of you, you could be thinking about, you know, I didn't get to do this, but I wanted to, or I really wish I... And you have this opportunity. Now, maybe you could start volunteering in an area that you really love. You know, some of you really liked the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Maybe it would be time for you to be a, be a, a docent down there. Maybe you've, your kids are gone and you kind of miss kids. Maybe you could volunteer at a school. You know, the, op- the opportunities are just endless. What might we do in these retirement years? And maybe we could focus more on grandchildren. Maybe we could plan how many times we're going to visit per month or per week or whatever. And I have my six grandchildren, thanks to my wife, all six grandchildren across the mantle over the fireplace. And so when I have my morning prayer time, I can pray for Chris and Liz and Anthony and Carolyn, George and Lauren, and Pablo and Meredith, my daughters and sons-in-law. But I also got the pictures of the grandkids. What is the world going to look like when Lucy and Adrian, and Charlotte. What's it going to look like when they're 10, 12, 15, 20? What will the world be like? I I think possibly it's going to get harder and harder. So maybe grandparents may not be parenting them, but what might you do more for your grandkids the older you get? And then I put sexuality twice. Sorry, skip that one. Tying up loose ends. There have got to be things that are not completely tied up or resolved, even in a long-term relationship. There may have been a a situation in the past that just kind of got papered over, or there may be things you've always wanted to say and just never had the time or didn't think maybe um, it would be appropriate to say. Tying up loose ends. You know, the older you get, the more things can be such a flow between you. I know what you're going to say before you, you, you say it. I can, I can read you well. I can support you well because I, I know where you're at. Tying up loose ends. 
And some of us have stuff that we should have solved in years, you know, zero to three or four to 10, you know, differences we had over raising kids or differences over money or whatever. And so we now have an opportunity to say, you know, I, I, I kind of want to bring this up because I want to really be right with you. And then press that button and run. <laughs> or rekindling sexuality. So in years 26 to 34, the renewing love years, and then in 36, uh, 35 and up, it may be that in the past, your sexual relationship has kind of gone to sleep. Especially during the busy years with kids, you're so, so busy and so tired and you've, you know, you've fallen into bed. My wife could tell you, I usually don't crawl into bed. I just fall into bed, just wham. And so we finally got a mattress where she can hardly feel it when I fall into bed. But our sexuality, that intimate relationship we have can go to sleep during the busy years. Then when we come to the point where maybe we have uh, older teenagers and they're out of the house more or we hit the empty nest or whatever, we have this, this opportunity. And, it, and, you know, Nate and Christina are about as down-to-earth and honest people as I know, and they both were saying on the platform just now that it's an awkward thing to discuss. For most of us, um, bringing up sexual issues, it's not fun. It's not like the popcorn on the couch that uh, Christina was talking about. But our bodies change. I don't know about you, but my body has changed years 26 and onward. We could talk in, in details about the changes in the male sexual response and the, 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 the female body and the need for understanding and the need for lubrication and, and the need for or gentle touch, and it's just something that no one ever seems to bring up. But when I do marriage counseling, and I've done it a lot, no matter what the condition of the marriage is, I always ask the gentle question. I will always say no details, but tell me about your physical intimacy, your relationship. Because that is an important glue in our relationship. And usually, there is either a physical problem, as we've aged, we haven't taken account into that we're going to have to, to handle some things differently, we're going to have to study some things. Um, there are good books out on um, intimacy over 50, things like that. But also, sometimes, there is something between the husband or, or wife that causes one or the other to distance them, themselves physically. And so whenever I do that marriage counseling, if I find that the relationship is uh, consistent and it's satisfying and so on, that tells me one thing. But when I find that a couple that, whose marriage is in trouble are not relating to one another physically, that tells me something else. So how many of you have found that your sexual relationship in marriage, physical intimacy, is an important part of your marriage? Have you had, had periods of your life where it was difficult for that to, be, to work out correctly? I don't even know what words to say, but have you found that? And we have periods, we have periods of time in life where a husband's sexual desire 
tends to, to lessen, and the wife's maybe also. I think if I was going to give you just one word that might help the most in years 26 through transcendent love, it's the word reassurance. Reassurance. Years zero to three are just those passionate, wonderful, crazy years, and, you know, we go on through the renewing love and comfortable love and all that. And there is just something about the years that change us mentally, emotionally, physically, not all for the, the, the worse. Uh, hopefully now you've got a wisdom you didn't have before, you've got insight you didn't have before. But how important it is that this most intimate act between us is one that we love and we treasure. But the, the older we get, we have to be thinking, I want to reassure my spouse that maybe your body has changed, or reassure myself, maybe my body has changed, but to assure that person, to reassure that other person, I'm so glad I'm with you. I'm so glad we're together. Even all we've been through, I thank God for you, to reassure. Insecurity in marriage is kind of a contradiction in terms. In other words, when I made a covenant commitment to you, Denise, all those years and, and all of you here made that covenant relationship, we said no side door, no trap door, no nothing, we're here. So we, we, we hopefully have got that part down. But as we change in life, you know, I can just picture of wife I wanted to say, do you still find me attractive? You know, my body's not the same. Do you still find me attractive? Well, remember Proverbs 18.22, I found a good thing. Even if you're not physically exactly the same as you were, Denise and I married at 21, we're not, we're not physically the same anymore. Our physical bodies, our, our sexual relationship, it's not the same as it was then. But it is my job to, according to Proverbs 5 and other places, to be enthralled and in love, even in the sexual part of our lives, with that person. And to reassure them, I am so thankful for you. You turn me on. Or whatever words that you know that you use. I wish that we talked more about these kind of things because as we age, pe people think, well, old people don't have sex, do they? You know, your grandchildren look at you and they just, Ugh, I can't even mention thinking about that. But we know as we grow older, the, you know, there's a, there's a threefold intimacy possible in marriage, spirit, soul, and body. We can be one spiritually. We can have, as, as Nate Christina said, we can have a quiet time. You know, we can have a, a common vision and goal. You know, we can be thinking spiritually about the Bible, and maybe we don't read it together every day, but, but we have some sense of spiritual unity. And then in the soulish realm, in the soul, the mind and will and the emotions, the older you get, the more fun it is to have this person as a friend. It's kind of unnerving at times when Denise knows what I'm thinking before I say it, and I start to say it, and she finishes the sentence. And I'm like, ah, I thought I was going to say something, you know, that you didn't know. 
But the oneness in mind, the oneness in emotions, you know, that if, if you can work your way toward that, and having this person as the best friend I have, I can say of my wife, she is the very best friend I've ever had and have now. And part of it is because we're, we're, we have a oneness in soul. But oneness in body. See, if you can get the spirit realm, and if you can work in the soul realm in your communication and so on, the physical can be an absolute barn burner, if I could use it that way. Everyone's... Physical sexual relationship is different than everyone else's, but how important it is that we reassure one another. You are the one I'm with. Denise and I were very fortunate. Neither one of us had sexual experience before marriage, and when we got married, we had that wonderful relationship together from the first. Other people, especially in their younger years, have had other relationships, and they have that kind of messing with their minds, but I would just encourage you to make it a goal to reassure your partner, I really, really find you attractive, hot, or whatever terms you want to use. And you know, if you were to have issues, go to Ephesians 5, please. If you were to have issues even in your physical sexual relationship, there's no sin in coming and talking to a pastor, uh, talking to a counselor, and saying, you know, I'm just stuck in this area. I don't find myself able to really find trusting on my relationship with my husband or whatever it might be, I encourage you to do so. But as we age, the same principles are in play as always were in play. And if you go to the classic text in Ephesians 5.21, we see this, this term, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. I call that mutual respect. If respect leaves a marriage, it is a miserable relationship. And so before he encourages the wives to submit to the husbands, there's this previous sentence which speaks of a mutual respect and mutual submission. I think most of you understand that, that we've got to come into the latter years of our marriage in humility with our will laid down, and with a submissive spirit to the other person. In other words, what would you like to do? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Where do you want to go? And the more you get outside yourself and have a submissive, honoring heart to your spouse, the happier it gets. But if you, are, you, you keep those areas of selfishness, your spouse sees those, knows those, feels like they're competing with those, I would just encourage you to meditate on this verse. It's so, so helpful, submitting to one another. Why? Because I revere Christ. Because I am submitted to him with you that I've made a covenant commitment with, I want to serve you and help you and draw from you and give to you and only take when it's appropriate. Then there's this, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, he himself is the Savior as the church submits to Christ. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So welcoming the lead of the husband. That's a hard thing to do. I always ask myself, Jeff, would you like to be married to you? Jeff, would you like to be submitted to you? Because I want to live in such a way that my wife would welcome my leadership. 
And if I do the thing that comes next, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Verse 25, love your wife as your own body. And verse 33, love your wife as yourself. When I do that, what do I draw out of my wife? What does love draw out of a wife? Respect. When I love as Christ loved the church, as my own body, as myself, when I love my wife like that, she can follow and welcome my leadership. And nothing is as fun as when your wife respects you and wants your leadership. Maybe you're a hot shot at church. Maybe you're a hot shot in the government. But when you're a hot, a hot shot at home, and when your wife actually wants your leadership because he's drawn it out of you by loving you in such a profound way, this is the same old principle that works year zero, year one, year 30, year 50. Welcoming the husband's lead because the wife loves it, loves her, and draws it out in that way. Have you ever heard of the book Love and Respect by Dr. Eggeriches? It's a a book that you're going to get recommended this afternoon by email. But when I do marriage counseling, almost all the time, the problem is the husband's not feeling respected, the wife's not feeling loved. And so I always say to the husband, your job is to study your wife and figure out what love looks like to her. Not the way you want to be loved. Figure out what love looks like to your spouse and offer that. And then to the wife, figure out what respect looks like to your husband. What does respect look like to him? And offer that. It's so blasted simple. And yet, as fallen people, and as people subject to fatigue and weariness and keeping up with the Joneses and all that, we sometimes lose the basics. If any of you ever golfed, I wouldn't recommend it to my worst enemy because there's that ball, and you would think, well, it can't be that hard to hit that thing. You know, I remember the first time I picked up a club, and, you know, I did it, and, and it kind of scuttled off in the grass. I thought, this is harder than I thought. And marriage can be the same way. And yet, the basics are the basics. The basics are love and respect. And that is based on a mutual submission and respect for one another. Right? Does that make sense? How many of you have, have how many of you ladies have ever found it difficult to submit to your husband? 